We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Crushing defeat at home leads to European exit at the hands of Italian giants. But enough about Spurs, and hopefully not us. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. That's right. Can't smile without them. Spurs crashed out in heartbreaking fashion at home to Italian giants after a good away leg. And before we get tucked into that, let's just remember that we put ourselves in position to do the very same thing. Hopefully we will not. Uh, We've got a bumper pod for you. Uh, Scott will be along momentarily. We've got a bonus section at the end, far better than the bonus section at the end last time. Uh, and here for the main section... You the, shit. <laughs> you can hear him already. His name is Paz, uh, Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Paz in my pants. Hello, Paz. Uh, Tim is back. Tim is here. Tim is Tim is wise, and we are we are pleased to have him back from Milan. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, wise one. Hello there. How was the uh, shit-infested stadium? Yeah, still, still infested um, with shit. Actually, and uh, it's um, it's not a place I would advise taking a shit either. Um, but yeah, there we go. Yeah, I saw you posted <laughs> pictures on social media of the hole that passes for a uh, toilet. The, the yeah, latrine. before he yes. used it. <laughs> I guess you what you're just supposed to squat over that thing and have a go, huh? I I, I guess so. I didn't. I did, luckily I didn't feel. I didn't. My my curiosity didn't stretch that far. Yeah. By by the way, agreed. What did all, stretch that far? <laughs> already the most enjoyable round of sixteen in the Champions League from the last six seasons. <laughs> yeah. 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 Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. Good. Um, well, enough about that. Let's talk about. It says here, <clears throat> Arsenal win. Is that right? Do I have that right? 
Okay, let's do that then. So, Tim, I'll start with you. Uh, the lineup looked very familiar to lineups we have trotted out there with not great results recently. And I have to admit that I was kind of hoping the manager would just try something different. But he trusted in the players that he's been trusting in, and they did get him the performance, to be fair. But when you saw the lineup, and then when you saw how they were being deployed, what were your thoughts? Yeah, it, it didn't surprise me that much. I, I wondered if he might drop El Nenny in to try and do that hybrid um, defensive midfield stroke centre-back thing. Um, but other than that, I could, there weren't too many other changes that I could think of because of injury and people being cup-tied and etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And we really don't have anyone else that can play right wing-back. So I think once Bellerin was ruled out, the idea of um, playing three at the back was kind of kiboshed, really. And Chambers can loosely only play right back in a back four. Um, and even that's slightly debatable, I think. He's certainly no right wing back. So I, I don't think with the options we had available, we were ever going to go three at the back. Um, and so it, it was pretty much what I expected. The only two players I thought might, like I said, on any, maybe Iwobi. And actually he, he ended up playing Jack in the kind of Iwobi role, uh, which I thought was quite interesting because I thought on first inspection... I wondered if Ramsey might go over to the right with kind of Ozil in the middle and Mkhitaryan on the left. Um, but that that's not the way it panned out at all. In fact, Ramsey, uh, who I'm sure we'll talk about um, a bit more as the, as the pod develops, but he, he actually played a very, very disciplined role in the first half. He really was part of a double pivot in front of the back four. Um, which, which which was quite interesting because I thought that Wilshire would play there alongside Jacker. I think what that shows you is that Arsene Wenger trusts Ramsey a bit more than he trusts Wilshire um, because generally, um, you know, he he pushed Wilshire out wide left um, in the second half anyway. Um, and yeah, Wilshire was kind of in the number ten, and then kind of you know he was more willing to move him around, whereas he obviously felt that Ramsey was much more pivotal to the performance which proved to be right um, on the day given their respective performances although had Wilshire played in central midfield um, he might have performed slightly better but um, yeah uh, so so that was once I saw the lineup that was the only slight surprise I thought that Ramsey might be part of that three behind um, Danny Welbeck particularly because we know that Danny Welbeck in terms of um, scoring you a goal isn't has never been super reliable and certainly isn't at the moment. And I wondered if you might try and push Ramsey up alongside him a bit. Um, and actually, we saw that with Ramsey's goal anyway. It's just he, he really picked his moment um, to go forward right at the end of the half. So, yeah, it, I, I wasn't hugely surprised. I, I thought that maybe Iwobi instead of Wilshire, maybe Elneny instead of Wilshire. Um, but ultimately, it was more or less what I expected um, and I, th I think you know the decision to have Ramsey there in front of um, in front of the back four really just spoke to probably the acknowledgement that we weren't playing three centre-halves you know we we're playing two centre-halves who are quite low on confidence and we saw them at Brighton on Sunday turn the ball over quite a lot um, I think just because the gap between the defence and the midfield has, has been a little bit big um, and I think Ramsey was asked, you know, to create a bit more of a kind of dotted line there so that we didn't expose the centre-backs on the ball, mm -hmm. um, which, which, were, which was a really interesting development because you'd think that um, that plays to Wilshire's skill set. But 
Uh, yeah, I, I don't think he's in a particularly good vein of form at the moment anyway. No. Um, no, and and some of that has to do with, I mean, the manager has decided to play him nominally as a 10, when I think, mm. based on his legs and where he is in his career right now, he probably needs to be a little deeper. So do you think he's just kind yeah. of being exposed in, in a position that maybe just isn't suited for him at the moment? A bit, yes, because it means he has to kind of receive the ball, you know, not quite with his back to goal, but, you know, it's, so he's receiving it in tight spaces, um, you know, on the half turn. And I, I don't think that's, that really suits his skill set. What, or at least what really used to was kind of driving from deep. I'm not sure if he's got the legs to do that anymore. Um, and the question for his career is whether he can reinvent himself as uh, you know more of a kind of, I suppose you'd say Perlo type, a deep lying playmaker who right. doesn't have to run very far or very fast. Um, I, you know the fact that Arsenal preferred Ramsey in that deep lying playmaker role. I think possibly says quite a lot about how he views Wilshere um, at the moment. Yeah, um, I, I don't know that he has the yeah. hair for the Pirlo role either, by the way. <laughs> no, no. Mm. And uh, I, I think it's just a bit of a, you know, it's also an admission that one of the things we really miss um, in the final third is a ball carrier, um, someone who is capable of, of dribbling and opening teams up that way. You know, we lost Rosicki, we lost Chamberlain, we've lost Sanchez. Um, oh, we didn't lose them. We, we know where all of them are, just for the record. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we didn't. <laughs> yeah, but they're, they're not in the team anymore, basically. Yes. Um, we can we can locate them. They're just not. Um, <laughs> you just, just have to look, in... just have to look up the table, Tim. They're right up there. Yes. There's a WhatsApp <laughs> yeah, yeah. group, apparently. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, go but ahead. yeah, that's and that's largely why we play Awobi so much, even though his form's quite patchy. Although you know. I think he gets criticised possibly slightly more than he deserves. But oh, we know you it, think it's because, that. <laughs> <laughs> but not 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 too much, not too much. He is very patchy, but it's it's because we really miss a ball carrier there. And I think what Arsenal is hoping and thinking is just you know, if I can just get Wilshire on the ball in that final third, facing play, facing defenders, then maybe he can create something. Because Özil's not that player, Mkhitaryan. He kind of is and isn't that player at the same time. And I, th- I think, basically, he just really wants a ball carrier in that front three. And, you know, the the only options we have in the squad are Iwobi, who's not convincing, and Wilshire, who is also not convincing in that position. So, yeah, it, it is a little bit of that, um, yeah. I think. But also, I, you know, I think his Arsenal pr- career is probably drifting to a fairly inauspicious close at this stage. Well, on that happy note, <clears throat> let's bring Paul into the conversation. Um, I, I ex- expressly said to Tim before this pod got underway, Tim, I want this to be a happy, cheery pod exclusively. And he said, go fuck yourself. So, um, Paul, as far as the early stages of the game, I think it's set out kind of the way you might have expected, even if I expected it to just be us losing 7-0. And what I mean is they look nervous, which a lot of our Europa League opposition have looked early. Um, recognizing that they're playing ostensibly a big club in a big league and you know, maybe not seeing the weakness of the side. But at the same time, they the really... The Arsenal. <clears throat> yeah, the, you know, the mighty Arsenal, exactly. The mighty gun, up the gun. Anyway, they, they wanted to have a go at us, but they seemed a little nervy. We had that sloppiness that has been a feature of our game for several months now, and it produced a sort of open but sloppy period. And it culminated prior to us getting really our hands around the match in a penalty shout for them. So just really quickly, talking about refs is boring and refereeing decisions is boring, but I think this one was pretty borderline. So I'm curious to get your thoughts on the Ospina 
penalty shout. He comes out. He gets nothing. He obstructs the player's running angle. The player is able to kind of get over him and then goes to ground after another step. Do you think it should have been a penalty? I think my reaction to it was, yikes. Um, He absolutely gave the referee a decision. Um, And I think based on how those things go, it was probably better than a 50-50. I mean, the guy kind of hurdled him. Um, kept his feet. So uh, on the day, was there contact or significant contact? Maybe not, but only because the dude didn't drag his feet. Harry Harry Kane would have dragged two of his feet and one of Deli Alley's. Mm-hmm. So we're we're a very lucky boy, David Ospina. <laughs> it does, and it does jump me straight forward to we make the Europa League final, and so much is resting on it. You, you know, it's one of those things where. Uh, Arson gets to show his integrity by keeping with the promises he made at the start of the season, but uh, Stan Stan Cranky probably has a view on it. Josh well, I Cranky. don't think he would even be able to name our keepers if we're being honest. <laughs> no, but he'd he'd get an incoming call about they're going to play David Ospina in the final, and he's going to ask who's David Ospina. Well, he's going to do a quick YouTube search and immediately decide it's the wrong it's the wrong. Yeah, movie. exactly. So like. Uh, I, that although, wasn't his only spotty moment in the game, by the way. There was the, the was corner not. where he came for it and got nothing and was lucky that yep. the header glanced wide, yeah. He did a couple of good things, too, yep. but, mm-hmm. but th- that's not what I'm looking for when we go to the final. I'm not looking for two two clangers we survive and two, well, yeah, two uh, good moves he should have made anyway. Okay, so before we just spend the whole time beating up on Ospina, though, so as far as those early stages, I mean, we had some chances, too. There was the one where uh, Jack and Messit combined to get the ball over to Mkhitaryan, and he fired just wide. The game had a real openness Which was to a it. good warmer-up for what he was about to yeah. have to do the second time. And which, I, okay, I actually felt he should have hit the target there, Paul, but, but so— yeah. Uh, so here's my question. Do you think that the reason for the resurgence, at, at least specifically with respect to players that have been struggling, players like Shaka, players like Messit, players like uh, Mkhitaryan, who I thought was sensational in the first half, after playing Spurs and City twice, where they just suffocate you, do you think the way Milan sat off us really brought these players to life, that they've been on, on the rack so much with intense pressure for multiple games now, that that extra beat of space on the ball really felt like minutes to them because of the intensity that they that they had been facing. I don't say this often, but that's a brilliant point. Well, yeah, one of the yeah. Reasons, you don't say it often. Things, it's right. It's true all the time. But you know. no, Yeah, true, true. Um, you know, one of the things I like about basketball, which I don't really watch anymore, is when they go to the playoffs and they play the same team seven times because you make these adjustments game from game, game to game. And one of the things I would, would have hoped we would have done over the last couple of seasons is get better and better against teams who press us. And... Narrator, narrator like, voice yeah. incoming, they didn't. <laughs> yeah, well, we don't against them. But to your point, it, it's like suddenly the oxygen uh, gets sucked into the room and, and the space is there when you play against a Milan. Because it's not like they didn't press us. They just didn't press us particularly well. For the first 60 minutes, they sat off a lot. A, a lot, but they didn't sit You know what I mean? They didn't sit mm-hmm. off. 
they just relative to a Spurs or whatever. Fair there's point. still plenty yeah. of yes. pressing, and but they're arriving a yard late, and a yard a yard is all the space in the world to a, a good footballer. Um, uh, on the Jack thing, uh, I thought it was interesting. I thought he had a decent first half. We talked about this on the old WhatsApp. Mm-hmm. I thought it was terrible in the second half. It was really scary. Um, yeah. yeah, and and not necessarily just in terms of his performance. It's I'm not sure what he was in the second half. At the start of the second half, there's a couple of times Cassier uh, runs past him, Ugh, and yeah. Jack shrugs. It, but it's funny because it's not like. He runs past him and he thinks it was his job. He shrugs to Chaka a couple of times and Chaka kind of apologizes to him that he didn't kind of pick him up and uh, and that Chaka wasn't further up the field. But it, it made no sense to me that Chaka would be the guy who'd be coming up to pick him up. I mean, it would have pulled him right out of position, our most defensive player. So I'm really puzzled. It, it made sense to me what we were doing with the three in midfield. Um in the first half when you watched it play out and we were more attacking there so maybe it was always going to make sense what's odd about jack is that he keeps playing 90 minutes yeah and i, I could don't not think it was believe just- the manager left him on when he made that substitution for mesut Ozil. he was i mean yeah. jack himself was crying out to be taken off the pitch at that point yeah and he's played a lot of 90 minutes and in the spurs game i think he did okay against dembele in the first half and from the minute the whistle blew in the second half dembele blew past him um but i in this game it wasn't particularly that he didn't have the legs i mean we weren't that knackered he'd just come in after come out after halftime i'm just puzzled by it's i don't did he invent his own role at the start of the second half? It was very odd. Well, he couldn't um, cover the ground anymore, and I think that 10 forces him to make sprints that he can't make and recovery runs he can't make, so he just started dropping in deeper. I, you know, I, And that's, that's ad hoc analysis. I totally understand yeah. that. But, I mean, he also uh, got bailed out a lot, closely, Paul, on I the ball. Know that, Go ahead. I was yeah. just going to say, I don't know that he didn't have the legs at that point of the game. It's like he didn't think it was particularly his, his job, and I don't know what his job would have been. But anyway, enough on Jack. We were supposed to be playing a Christmas tree formation by many people at the start of that game. It's absolutely not what we did, obviously. I Jack. thought it looked more like a 4-1-4-1, kind of like we'd done with Elneny, but with Shaka playing the Elneny role and dropping in between the center backs to, to pick the ball up at times. Yeah, though I do think there was tremendous balance between him and Ramsey. Obviously, it was a bit yeah, more Tim defensive. Yeah, Tim alluded to that, yeah. Yeah, and, and to me, that was the secret of the whole game. Those two and Mkhitaryan, who hadn't quite realized just how active he'd been in the game, despite all the eye-catching stuff he did. I mean, in the first half, he had that sh- basically the same shot, the same cut onto his right foot three times, hit the post, hit the bar the third time. He had nine dribbles in the whole game. I mean, that's amazing. Six from Kolasinac, so that's 15 from that wing, and that was where all our attacking production came from. Mm-hmm. So those guys uh, really kind of hit a groove going forward. I thought, you know, obviously, Ozil, Jack, Ramsey, all doing their bit um, to connect the play, but that really seemed to be where our strength came from because there was a lot of talk about there was no width in this team. Um and there's a point to that, but I, you could see Ozil and Mkhitaryan continually working from wide towards the center or Ramsey working from w- wide towards the center. But I also think it's because Milan weren't very good. I mean, they just weren't tight at the back. And you see it on, on Ramsey's, our second goal. Uh, I mean, he did brilliantly and Ozil did brilliantly, but the gaps are there to be exploited, mm-hmm. man. 
Well, and, and you know, I, I, I wrote in my little game notes at one point, I sense if we were sharper, we could be out of sight because the, the spaces and the gaps were appearing. And Tim, out of curiosity, I mean, do you think that maybe Gattuso looked at us and looked at our form in the league and said, we can have a go at these guys if we, you know, kind of what you said, that these smaller teams <clears throat> should be having a go at us, but that the way they did it was really odd. They pushed their fullbacks up, they got really high up the pitch and then gave us chances to counter. Do you think that maybe they overestimated our slump and their willingness to come at us, not with the press per se, but just to push resources into the attacking half, gave us that platform to to counter them and create chances ourselves? And can I give Tim some quick props on WhatsApp? He called this one. Uh, I was pretty nervous about it, but Tim really thought uh, we'd have a good go at these guys and they were there for the taking, ironically. If you check my Twitter feed, you'll see that I routinely and regularly predicted we would win this match comfortably. So, <laughs> ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, so I, I think the way I'd sum up my feeling before the match was I wasn't scared of AC Milan or scared of Arsenal. Well said. Um, well said. That's why we have you on, because you say good stuff. <laughs> but um, I, I kind of tend to think, I mean, I don't watch a lot of AC Milan, but I could really imagine that Gattuso is just the type of manager that would just kind of, um, maybe I'm doing him a disservice here, but would just kind of go Mel Gibson, Braveheart style, you know? And Not a tactician, kind of... but a motivator. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I'm sure they had the conversation before the game, understandably, about, you know, Arsenal being in a bit of a, a bit of a funk at the moment and to, you know, go for them, go and get them. And, you know, in that first couple of minutes, I, I was quite worried because, you know, they forced a couple of corners and I thought, oh, God, right, they're really up for this. And um, had they scored the first goal, I think we could have been in a lot of trouble. But I think um, as the game went on, it became clear to me that Milan had a kind of an attacking plan, but not really a defensive one. Um, and, you know, Mkhitaryan in particular really continually exploited space um, down their down their right hand side. Um, I don't. I, I guess that that was planned. Um, I guess that that's something Arsenal identified um, beforehand. Um, so yeah, I, I I kind of I I tend to think that Gattuso probably just sent them out there and just said, get into them. Um, and at first we look a, we looked a little bit shaken by it, and I should say the San Siro was sold out. Um, and you know this, uh, I, I think one of the things that made me think of was that even I've been a, perhaps a bit guilty of dismissing this competition, um, not because I think Arsenal are above it. It's just I'm up to this point I've not found well, it very quality entertaining. It's been but dog shit up to this point. Yeah, yeah, it has, it has. But, you know, I got inside the stadium and I was thinking, wow, AC Milan, who've won, what, three European Cups? Um, and maybe more than that. Uh, and, you know, this... I know they won me a lot of games club. on FIFA in the early in the early aughts. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, this this isn't a team that won them in the 50s and 60s. You know, they've, they, they won the European Cup in 2007. You know, most of the fans in that stadium will have seen that. And they won it in 2003. And, you know, they have, they've had all these great players in recent memory... Um, and yet they still they sold out for this. They sold all ninety thousand tickets, so they were up for this. They were well up for it. Um, you know, Milan, but perhaps um, a few years ahead of where we are now in terms of they've been on the slide for a fair few years now, and they're 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 kind of they're the anticipation around them and the fans are, are really really ready for them to kind of rise again. And I, I felt that from the team um, as well that they they were really, really up for this and they really want to win the Europa League and they really want to put the name of AC Milan back on the map. But um, 
actually they were they were a little bit naive with it. it. It reminded me a little bit of when we played Manchester United in the Champions League semi at the Emirates a few years ago. And, you know, we were 1-0 down from the first leg and, you know, everyone got in the stadium and it was really pumped and everyone was, you know, and the team was pumped and they went hell for leather in the first five minutes and then they were 2-0 down and it was all over. Um, and it And it kind of, that's what it felt like to me that Milan were doing, that they were kind of, they feel like, you know, they're on the cusp of doing something again and they want to get back in the Champions League and they're winning some games and they've got a manager they like who's a club legend and they've got all this new investment, although, yeah, I gather that there's issues with that as well, potentially. But it basically the stage was set for them and it wasn't set for us because, you know, we're a team that's just coming into a down period. We've got a fairly unpopular legacy manager. We're in horrible form, particularly away from home and, and you know, Basically, I feel almost like AC Milan um, were trying to play the narrative of the tie. Instead uh, of the team. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and actually, after five or ten minutes, when we weathered that initial storm, I think Arsenal really perked up and thought, ah, actually, yeah, there's there's 90,000 people here and it's AC Milan, but they're not actually that good. And look, they're giving us loads (laughs) of space. There was so much space to operate. I mean, you could almost see Mkhitaryan and Ozil and Ramsey just, their ears, eyes perked up. They were so excited for it. I mean, were you, Mkhitaryan is a player that I've been a little nervous about given the performances Mm. recently, but he was brilliant against Everton and we saw more of that Mkhitaryan in this game. And I'll, I'll toss this over to Paul as well in a second, but just quickly on Mkhitaryan. Was he the story of the first half for you? I mean, he really yeah. imposed himself on that left-hand side. I, I thought him and Ramsey were. Um, actually, I thought I thought they both were. I thought um, Mkhitaryan uh, exploited that space brilliantly. Um, and not, not just because, you know, he scored the goal and hit the crossbar. He really was central to everything, more so than Ozil. In fact, this was a bit of a throwback Ozil performance where I thought, uh, what did he really do? And then I realised he set up both goals. Um, in whereas, Scott's you know, lately, section, you will realise he did stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, exactly. It was that kind of old-style Ozil performance where you don't think he's done that much, but afterwards you realise he has, whereas perhaps over the last few months or so, he's become a bit more prominent in the team, a bit more um, involved in a way that your eyes pick up immediately, whereas this was, whereas Mkhitaryan was that guy um, on this occasion. It was almost... Um, like Rosicki style, you know, it was like old style Thomas Rosicki um, on that left on that left hand side, and he really intelligently exploited the space, and they gave him plenty um, as well. And he and you know he's creating overloads down the left with Kalasinac quite nicely. Um, him and Welbeck teamed up quite well as well. I think Welbeck's got a slight bias, I think, for that that kind of left hand channel, and that's probably why you know the best performances on our team. Um, particularly in the first half, veered more towards that left-hand side. Um, and I, I thought he brought a fairly decent performance out of Kolasinac as well. And that's, you know, that's quite promising. Um, so, yeah, I, I absolutely think Mkhitaryan, well, you know, they scored, they both scored the goals, but I thought Mkhitaryan and Ramsey were, you know, the most eye-catching players yeah. in that first half. Yeah, way, way to pick the guys who scored the goals, Tim. I, <laughs> I usually expect you to pick out some esoteric quality of the game, but you're like, the guys who scored were pretty good. Uh, Paul, let, let's try to get a little more intellectual than that. Um, what yeah. do you think of the guys that scored the goals? <laughs> uh, they were like really first. good. Yeah, they were really good, yeah, yeah. dude. Yeah, yeah no, I, I mean, Mkhitaryan actually just from – you can't get carried away with stats. Well, you can, but you shouldn't. But I Scott do. will. Um, Later. It's coming. Yeah, Scott will. He did a lot of stuff 
Um, so you go th- through all the categories, whether it's tackles, uh, defensive actions, etc. He was a very, very busy boy. Um, and I, I do think the keys to this game, what was dear, he got a little bit of space. Um, I mean, if you think outside of Welbeck, who doesn't seem to be able to like score and stuff, basically be teams should just let him run because not much would happen at the end of it. But he does but pull people. He does. I he, mean, if they're dumb enough does. to follow him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They should they should let him run until he actually does something. Um, as I said a few days ago, he's gone full Sonogo. Having um, said that, when the the shot that Mkhitaryan hit the hit the crossbar, that pass from Welbeck to him, that sort of curling cross come pass on the counterattack was really sensational. It was. It was very good. Thanks. Um, so anyway... Um, <laughs> Go ahead. Mkhitaryan's basically... You send in that team out there, you're thinking, who's going to do it today? Who's going to make something... Who's who's going to directly threaten the goal? It's got to be Mkhitaryan and then secondly, Ramsey. I mean, you got... Wilshire hovers around the box and yes, on occasion... But you're basically looking for Mkhitaryan to step up, and he did. Um, so, you know, that was absolutely key as it panned out. And then just that partnership, Chaka-Ramsey, where um, we were flirting with this general topic before the game. You come away from a game like this, and you can't. You went into it thinking, um, you know, we're crap. I'll take anything we can get. You know, I'd take a, a score draw away at Milan. I would have taken survive. a 2-1 loss on our form, and I, I'm not trying to say that to be a dick. It's just, I mean, I am yeah. a dick, but that's, yeah, you genuinely. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, you know, our expectations, our hopes were so low, and you come away from this, and, you know, ignoring the fact that they were a bit shit and gave us just that extra yard to play, we were really good, and you go immediately into... Um, what does it mean? What you know? What can I keep from this going forward? And I'm just drawn. You know, I watched the performance of Chaka Ramsey a second time, and it was just it was really really good. And you keep projecting onto okay. So if they had to scramble a bit more, if they were pressed a bit more, would this still work? And you look at it and you say, yeah, I I think it could have. So that's that's the tantalizing thing about it. They really looked the part. Both of them looked very disciplined, apart from Chaka's red mist moment with, uh, I think it was Kessier again, where yeah. the, the, the referee was uh, telling him to look into his eyes and, and Chaka was like fucking laser beamed into Kessier. So um, I, I thought those two were excellent, Ramsey, Chaka. And in the first half, I thought the the Wiltshire piece of it worked pretty well in terms of if Ramsey went forward, Wiltshire seemed to be... Um, kind of taking account of it and you know that gave me some hope but second half i don't know what the fuck that was out of possession jack you know fell back and it made some sense but in those kind of transition phases i don't know what the thinking um, was he relied on the referee to bail him out quite a bit in the second half where he was dispossessed and kind of hung a leg and got a foul call but could have been in in a lot more trouble just looked like his legs had gone just real quick before we move back to, to tim as far as Shaka, I mean, he's come for come in for criticism, and I, I just don't think any of it is undeserved. I think he's had a very, very poor season, certainly second half of the season. This was a really good game for Shaka. He is up there as a contender for man of the match with a lot of things he did, including awareness. There was a, yeah. I want to say a free kick where Shaka dropped all the way to the far post and cut out 
an opportunity, and he was really switched on. I mean, Cleared for, it with his head. Yeah, that one. that's the one, yeah. yeah. And, you know, that's the kind of thing where in another game in the league I could have seen him maybe just going to sleep and getting beat at that post. But he was he was switched on, and he was making the plays that he needed to, and he was distributing well, and he was operating as that hub. I mean, is there any one simple answer you can give for why you think it worked for Shaka tonight? Or not tonight. Well, tonight is not it, when the game was played, but the night the game was it, played. It's funny you should say that because I'm probably the only man equipped to handle this question. I, I did run this game and, through and, the Crapatron 4000. And to make my daughter. You're the only man equipped to do that, too. We've covered that. Yes. I wasn't going to go there because I'm too classy. You are. Um, That's true. Thanks, Paul. I, no, I don't have a great answer for this except to say that even on closer inspection, this kind of looked like the real deal. Um maybe they can take some pressing or quite a bit of pressing. Maybe it's a lot of pressing that they can't handle. Um, this was a really good performance. Is it? Is it real? I mean, Tim, maybe, is it just a simple look? Shaka was a fantastic player in the Bundesliga, and he is a good player for for the Swiss. I mean, is it as simple as he's not a Premier League player, that he needs a little more space, he needs a little more time, he needs to sit deep and survey and play a more tactical game, and that, he, that Europe suits him, but he can't do it in the Premier League? Uh, yeah, I think there's probably a kernel of truth to that. I think whether he can do it in the Premier League um, to you know to to a really good standard, I I'm still not sure to be honest. Like like you, I think I'd just find it really difficult to judge how good any of our players actually are at the moment and how much you know it's the system and the club and blah blah blah. But um, yeah, definitely this pace of game absolutely suits him because what are his best qualities? Picking the ball up off the centre half swiveling and distributing and and you know listen every player wants space and time ideally but um he seems to especially thrive on it and he really really thrived on it in this game as well i think kind of having that extra body in midfield as well i know so mkhitaryan Ozil, and wilshire um were kind of uh, part of a three behind uh danny welbeck but again that I think just gave him a little bit more to aim at going forwards as well. Um, and like I said, this I, I feel like this particular starting lineup had quite a left bias, um, and not just because we had quite a lot of left-footed players. But you know, if you're Jacker and you're picking the ball up and you're putting it onto your left foot, you're naturally inclined to look towards the left, and that's where most of the options were um, for him. So um, I think there's that to it as well I just don't I just don't think AC Milan particularly had an off the ball plan um, and therefore they didn't they probably didn't really identify that it might be good to kind of get stuck into Granite Xhaka and, and it might have surprised Arsenal a bit given like I said how disciplined um, Ramsey was in the first half that was really like that that was really a double pivot um, for that first 45 minutes so um, Arsenal were might have been anticipating uh, something a, a bit more um, in front of their in front of yeah. their back four, but yeah, yeah, that could be the case. It, it could be that you know we know he's got great qualities, um, and we've seen him have really good games. We've seen him re- have really good games in the Premier League as well. Last season, um, I thought he had a perfectly yeah. acceptable season last season. Yeah, 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 and you know, in I think the Carabao Cup semi final, the first leg at Stamford Bridge against Chelsea, I thought he was absolutely outstanding um, because that was. You know, performance where we were disciplined, we played a deep block, we played largely for a nil-nil. And, um, you know, within that kind of structure where everyone was quite organised, I thought he was outstanding. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't know whether it's he needs 
that someone beside him who's you know a bit of a terrier or whether he needs to play in the league where there's a bit more time on the ball I suspect there's a little bit of truth in both of those statements but I mean we saw what we saw is that he's a really good player and um, the Arsenal whether Arsenal don't get the best out of him or whether they can't get the best out of him we'll probably see in the next year or so but um yeah, yeah, it, he he definitely AC Milan certainly gave him uh, the perfect game for him to thrive, and and he did. Um, other than that, absolutely ludicrous shot in the last minute. Oh man, um, Arson went absolutely fucking mental. And this is the problem with Shaka, right? Like, I cannot yeah. get away from the idea that maybe he's a little bit stupid. Like, he just yeah, seems a little yeah. bit stupid. Um, it, it was yeah, go ahead. It, it was the only time in the game that I really kind of started screaming and shouting, and him him and Wilshere so did Arson. Very. Yeah, and him and Wilshere had an incredibly heated argument, like even to the point that Milan were going up the pitch and Jacker and Wilshere were <clears throat> still kind of in each other. Well, Jack places. only did it to save himself the run back up the pitch, to be <laughs> fair. To be fair. Um, well, I think for him, he'd, he'd made quite a good run over onto the left wing. And um, yeah, I think he was a bit like, A, don't be so stupid. Take it to B, the fucking I've, corner. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and B, I've just like, I've just run like 40 yards in the hope of getting that pass. So yeah. With, yeah. Yeah. No, I get, all right. Well, we, we got to talk Aaron Ramsey for a minute here. And I look, the second goal is one of those goals where everybody's going to point at Mesut Ozil and drool and be like, Oh, look at the pass. It's incredible. Okay. It is my feeling. The pass to Mkhitaryan for our first is actually a better pass. I have no idea how he sees him. It's like this chipped first time pass to the wing without looking Look at the space Mesut Ozil has to pick out Aaron Ramsey. They gave him 10 yards in the final third. You can't do that. But look at what Ramsey does in that goal, okay? He gets up the pitch. The ball is in the air behind him, so he back flick volleys it to Welbeck, right? He then continues running. He finds a pocket of space between the fullback and the center back, and he starts pointing. I want it here. I want it here. I want it here. But he holds the run, and he holds the run, and he holds the run, and he runs right at the right moment, then he shows the composure, sits the keeper down, and slots home. That goal was exceptional, but but stepping outside of that goal for a minute, Tim, if you look at the bad run we went on in December, and you look at the bad run we've been on now, it coincides with Aaron Ramsey being out of the team. Is he really the special sauce for us, for, for this, this weird system, this weird amalgam of players kind of coalescing into something functional? Uh, yes, I think so. Um, a, a lot of that is also because of the kind of the poverty of uh, replacements we have when he's out. Um, it's not just that we don't have someone like him. We just don't have someone um, really. And, you know, Jack is is just a completely different type of player and who is not the player he was. Um, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. That That kind of powerful off the ball running, you know, Lacazette stopped scoring when Ramsey wasn't there, for example. I think um, I, I will just talk about the finish for one minute because something he's clearly worked on is his finishing has been so much calmer. This he's not season. snatching actually, at chances anymore. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. You look at this goal. Um, you look at the goals against Everton. Is I think the one that completed his hat trick at home to Everton. The Swansea winning goal where he passes the ball into that. He finesses it. This one, he's just so calm, sits the goalkeeper down and, you know, never any doubt that he's going to score. He's clearly worked on that side of his game. But I think the thing that I really started to notice this year is that um, he's picking his moments to make those forward runs a little bit more. I think he did get, uh, you know, he did get some criticism and I thought um, 
it wasn't misplaced that he was just running up front all the time um you know and actually theo walcott did this a little bit at one point in his development where instead of picking his time to make a run he just constantly made that run forward and stood there waiting for the ball and i think ramsey did do a bit of that at times um over the last few years but this year he's he's really kind of beginning to get that you know arriving late arriving at the right time you know waiting until all the other attackers are in position and occupying someone before he can he can go in and i think um what he showed again um was that he could do the discipline side that he could sit in front of the back four that he could receive that he could you know, knock passes off. We we know about his attacking game. Um, but I think also his attacking game is even more important to us at the moment because we, we've we kind of settled on this front three of Ozil and Mkhitaryan behind, um, you know, Aubameyang slash Lacazette slash Welbeck. And that, that's quite unusual because what you usually get in a front three is you get your main striker and then you get a creator and a goal scorer. Um, kind of either side of him and actually what we've got is kind of two creators um, although Mkhitaryan had you know a really good offensive game on this occasion and that that makes Ramsey even more important I think one of the frustrations in recent weeks has been the distance between say Ozil and Aubameyang mm-hmm. and um you well, know, Ozil's Aubameyang definitely been coming Lacazette. deeper which has never ever been his, his yeah. best form at Arsenal has never been when he's dropping deeper yeah, exactly, and and is not quite close enough to Aubameyang, and it's happened with Lacazette as well. They've both looked isolated at times, and that that makes Ramsey even more important um, in terms of kind of making that run and and tying up those defenders and basically doing a bit what Theo um, kind of used to do. Um, so yeah, that, that that does make him very very important, and basically. Pretty much none of our central midfield combinations are very good at all. Xhaka and Ramsey does work in in the right circumstances. It's still not brilliant, but um, basically any combination without Ramsey is just unsatisfactory. I think. Um, yeah. So yeah, he, he and and quite quietly, which is unusual for Ramsey because he tends to divide opinion. Um, and particularly, I, I think another thing I want to point out: I can't remember if it directly led to the goal, but certainly about a minute before the goal, he, he showed some composure in his own area as well, where, you know, he's under a bit of pressure and he really calmly turns the ball over to Mustafi, I think, inside his own box. And I, I think that's one of the reasons a lot of fans struggle with him because he's so composed, but he has like the wisdom to ignore the crowd. So everyone's a bit stressed when they watch their team and they just want the players to get rid of it, get rid of it and don't do that back heel and just, you know, try watching Manchester um, City for a minute. I mean, yeah. they'll drive you fucking crazy yeah. with the amount of passes they'll play in their own box. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Whereas Ramsey's got that kind of that very, very cool head. And, uh, and that can annoy people, particularly when things well, don't come off. But Well, let's do this um, now, because I, I was going to do this later, but let's do this now. I mean, the debate, I'm sorry, it sounded like you had a, a finishing thought there that I cut off. No. no. Okay, okay, good, Perfect. great. <laughs> Perfect timing then. Um, the debate between Ramsey and Wilshire is poisonous, and I don't understand it. There seems to be this, you are team Ramsey or you are team Jack, and... The reason I don't understand it is a couple of things. First of all, Aaron Ramsey is a talisman for his, his national team. He is a, a key ingredient, one of the first names on team sheet for Arsenal. He's either going to get a huge contract or a big money move to a big club. He is you know, one of the better central midfielders in the league, in the world, in my opinion. But you know, put that aside for a second. He certainly is, is raising his game to even another level, I think. Jack is 
back from alone to Bournemouth where he fell out of the squad. He has started to regain a place in the Arsenal team. He is hoping to get a contract at Arsenal or maybe move down the table uh, to a level that maybe suits him a little more. He's hoping to get back into the England team. Not to mention that Jack is a technical operator who can't really run, um, and Ramsey is a hard-running box-to-box finisher. I mean, why are they so closely compared, and why is the debate between them so poisonous and polarized? Yeah, it's a weird one, isn't it? I mean... Is it just Brexit? Is it just Brexit? Is that it? Is it just a Brexit thing? (laughs) And weirdly, the two of them seem to actually get on pretty well on the pitch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a weird one. So, I mean, there are some fairly obvious reasons. They're both kind of young British players that kind of came through at the same time, playing in the same position, but in very different ways. And, you know, some, and, and some of it's down to personal preference. Some people want, like, one type of player, others like, um, another so I, I'm certainly you know I've always really liked Ramsey because I like guys that are calm on the ball I like guys that take risks um, even if they don't always get it right and that's why I like Wojciech Chesney as well um, as a player and okay I okay, okay you know this isn't just you getting a chance to say whatever you want stick with the stick with the subject matter <laughs> yeah yeah so you know so I've always liked Ramsey for that reason kind of possibly accepted his foibles more than other people which is absolutely fine but I, I do think there's a kind of, you know, for want of a better word, identity thing going on here. And a lot of people, you know, will... Sh- so the way I'd boil it down is Ramsey's best work happens off the ball and Wilshire's best work happens on it. Um, well said. And so, and so they're, they're very, very different types of player and they're competing for the same place. They're a similar age. They came through at a similar time. But I, I do think this is a fairly curious thing about social media um, as well, uh, which kind of almost encourages you to to kind of really take a position and go for it you know and identify yourself with that position it's kind of like tribalism within tribalism you know it's not enough to be tribal about your team anymore you have to be tribal about the politics like meta tribalism Uh, yeah yeah exactly and obviously we've seen it with the manager down the years uh, although i think that's kind of all but disappearing because everyone's pretty much on the same page now but um, yeah, yeah, it, it it kind of feels like, you know, you have to take a position. It's one versus the other, and some yeah. people like identify with one, and others identify with the other. And I, I too, I find it really curious and a bit strange. Um, but you know, you see, you see this a lot now. Like football, the way we view football is really moving towards individuals. Just look at any number of accounts on Twitter that are just like. Um, you know, that are dedicated to players um, as uh, opposed to teams. Yeah, the Avi is either a picture of Ramsey holding up a trophy or Jack, <laughs> yeah. you know, telling Spurs to fuck off at the FA Cup parade. Easy, guys. Easy. Uh, I just got to say. <laughs> Touche. Yeah, by the way, if you don't know, Paul's, Paul's <laughs> I, Twitter Avi is just a picture, a close-up picture of Jack's face. Of his eyes. I'm just going to say two quick things. Wiltshire's Arsenal and Ramsey's a last-minute blow-in. You know I, what I mean? Yeah, I, look, a, I get it. He's he only was, been here since he was, what, 17 yeah no i mean jack yeah. jack's been here since he was a kid and wilshire, wilshire only got here in his teens i i see the joke you're making but yeah, also funny, to be fair jack is an academy player wilshire was i mean uh ramsey was choosing between united and arsenal and you know there, there's this sense that he's not sure he wants to stick around and jack is jack is you know we've brought this up with mesut Ozil, and tim i know that you're a big proponent of this like jack is really good at the old social media you know um oh, yeah. i mean he i don't know if you saw his tweet today we're going to be playing watford 
probably around the time you listen to this podcast. And he said, you know, let's let's see if we can show some cojones or whatever, like in with a bunch yeah. of eye emojis in relation to Troy Deeney's comment. And, like he, and he fans, yeah, go ahead. F- fans identify with him. You know, he's a bit rough and ready. Likes, you know, likes to go out, likes to smoke. Um, you know, he comes from Hertfordshire. I know he didn't grow up as an Arsenal fan. He's a throwback to 80s football in some respects, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when we go 2-0 down, he gets all frustrated and kicks people. And, <laughs> and you know, whereas Ramsey is a, a, a slightly blander character. Um, looks, likes, looks like a model. Likes rhino. Manicured looks, hair. Yeah. yeah, likes rhinos um, and stuff <laughs> like that. And, and people, like, don't don't really um don't identify with that quite as much but yeah i mean so the point i was going to make as well like this happens into club as well so you always get people like not not arguing about arsenal and liverpool anymore it's like ozil and coutinho every time coutinho makes an assist you get like this liverpool fan account going oh look at this you know he's much better than ozil and then like ozil will do like a pre-assist or a back heel or something and people who are like oh i'd like to see coutinho do that like it's it's really getting geared towards individuals yeah. now and so i think there's a lot of these things kind of kind of playing into it yeah tim i know you hate the transfer window but coutinho was transferred to barcelona um, I, so, well, yeah. <laughs> um no I, your point is spot on look i want to get paul i want to get your your thoughts on danny in a minute but let's let scott jump in give us the statistics that uh show us why all of our opinions are correct and then we'll come back we'll talk danny we'll talk defense we'll talk about where the tie stands and then we'll uh uh put this out into the world for no one to listen to it because what we'll play already. we'll be back in just a second this is our last goodbye I hate to feel the love between us now But it's over I Just do this and then I'll go it's time to get downright statsy, and here to do it is the statastic man himself, Scott. You can find him on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. Read his stuff on theshortfuse.com and uh, crabstats.blogspot.com. But most importantly, and I emphasize this, find his stuff on this podcast. That's really what we want you to do. Scott, hello. Hello. This, might, this might be my favorite place that I show up. It might be. It might be. It might not be. I mean, who can say? Um, what's the expected excitement for this, for this segment? Oh, Actually, it's, it's it's almost as high as Aaron Ramsey's open, you know, open goal chance. So, nice. You know, 0.88. Well, yeah, oh, you know. is that what it was? 0.88. Is that the highest chance you've logged this season? That's just about. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to go back and look. But I mean, yeah, it's one of those things. I'm, I'm sure if I went back and threw in the, the defensive pressure and the, the no people between there, it would get, you know, pretty close to one because that's probably about as close as of a, a one chance as you can get. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I loved every minute of it too, but but so hey, I'm going to throw a stats curveball at you. What was the expected Spursiness of their crash out? Oh, 100. percent It was it was a one one point oh, expected I, I, Spurs. I, I loved every second of that one. I, I almost want to dive into that more than this, but we did win a game. We did win a game at the San Siro. Uh, we did win a game convincingly with a clean sheet. All of the things that we were told could not happen, and certainly I believe could not happen. So let's dig into the statistical reasons why it did happen and. I know that Mesut Ozil is going to jump off the paper. He always does. But other than Mesut Ozil, who jumps off the paper for you? Um, I thought Mkhitaryan had a, a really good game. Um, I know I've been um, kind of banging on him a little bit um, the last couple times we talked. Um, you know, giving the ball away too much and not really having his stuff come off. But this game, I thought he was actually probably uh, the best player on the, the pitch for Arsenal. Um, so that was really um, positive and exciting to see for me. 
What are some, what are some of the numbers that uh, bear that out? So he was, you know, uh, uh, led the Arsenal in shots with three, um, scored the the one really good goal, had another one, a big chance that he hit off the post. Um, 83% passing, 81% in the final third, led Arsenal in final third attempts and completions, uh, created uh, two additional chances. Uh, one of them was a, a big chance. Uh, and then it was five of nine on dribbling, leading Arsenal. Um, and, you know, even threw in three tackles and an interception. So, yeah, just an overall good game. Yeah, we'll take it. I mean, I, I was thrilled to see that performance. And I think, you know, the one thing we know about Arsenal is if you don't put pressure on us in midfield, if you let us have space, that's where those players can kill you. I said I didn't want to hear about Mesut but who am I kidding? His assist was beautiful. I guess, does the does the Mkhitaryan goal get an Ozil assist as well? It does, yes. So he assists both goals uh, quite brilliantly. I thought his his vision to find Mkhitaryan on the first maybe not getting as much attention as it should because of his laser pointer pass to Ramsey for the second, but it was equally excellent. How about the rest of his day? PPVA, passing, final third, all that, was he equally exceptional? Yeah, so I mean, he had a good game, you know, maybe not quite to his lofty standards, so I had him, you know, unsurprisingly leading the the team um, and overall in uh, passing value added. Um, his overall offensive value added was just below a couple of players, so Mitch Katari and I had leading the team uh, Aaron Ramsey second, um, and then yeah, I think Mesut Ozil's their third. Um, actually, no, Granit Xhaka is just ahead of him. So yeah, overall a very good game. Um, you know, he also only he came out early, um, got a, a nice you know substitute to rest for the weekend. I guess uh, who knows? I would hope that he does not play at the weekend. <laughs> I would hope that nobody plays at the weekend. In fact, I'll take a three nil forfeit as the Premier League has been canceled for the rest of the season, um, or we could just play Aubameyang by himself and see what he can do. He would definitely get service if he was the only Arsenal player, right? That's that's true. Yeah, yeah. a lot of touches. Um, so, yeah, so there you go. Uh, as far as Shaka, you brought him up. I thought this was one of his better games, and he was deployed a little deeper, and I think when he does sit a little deeper, that's when we see more from him in terms of his line-breaking passing and his vision distribution. I mean, he's always going to be a little limited defensively and, and in terms of his mobility, but I thought this was a better game. Do his numbers jump out at you as being an improvement from what we've seen of him lately? Yeah, definitely. Um, so he actually was able to take up a little bit of the the Ozil role that he normally fills in the connecting the midfield to the final third. So he actually led Arsenal um, in the, the final third entries. Um, so he was 9 of 11 on those, which is really good. So I, I thought that he actually did a, a great job of looking to be kind of um, between the the lines, so between the the forwards, um, the Milan forwards and their midfielder, so that deeper spot where he was able to kind of quarterback things, and he really seemed to be able to pick out the passes. He was uh, four of four in his long passes, um, completed almost all of his passes in the the midfield and defensive third. So that's you know just really key for him is to get those ones where he can get his um, momentum and his rhythm going and just completing moving the ball around recirculating recirculating it so yeah I thought Shaka, yeah really really had a good game and i was very happy to see that so uh, to me he's kind of put together a couple of um, good games um in a row um if you know as long as you don't pay attention to the, the manchester city one um which you know may, maybe shouldn't um but yeah so I'm, I'm happy to see him getting going i think he's a, a important part of the arsenal midfield yeah, it just really seemed like we had the space to operate, and that's something that you just don't get in the Premier League, and more and more teams are catching on to not giving us that space. I mean, I know it sounds obvious, but sitting off of us is how, gives us a chance to play the football we like to play. I don't suppose, I, I didn't ask you this up front, so I'm not guessing that you would have it, but is there any way to sort of extrapolate the data on uh, passes per defensive action 
in a game like this and kind of get a sense of how lax Milan's pressure was? Yeah, I can. So I, I do have that. So uh, oh, Milan awesome. had, 30, had 33 defense actions. Arsenal had 459 passes. So, so the simple math I'll a, do in my head right now is... Um, seven. Seven passes per defensive action. So that's, yeah, that so would actually a, indicate that they were kind of pressy, wouldn't it? Oh, I'm sorry, thir- um, 13. 13. I was going to say it didn't say There we go. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, how, how does, what does that say? I mean, does that suggest that they were pressing more than maybe you've given them credit for? Is that a pretty average number? Um, it's not a, a huge number. Um, let the beacon break it down by which sections they were in. Let me just pull these over. Absolutely, because I, I think you know the the narrative is if you press Arsenal, they can't live with it, and if you give them space, they cannot. Well, certainly that's the narrative I'm I'm creating, and I I think it it certainly looked to me like we had more space. I mean, the second goal is a clear example of all that space. Mesut Ozil had ten clear yards to stand there on the ball, look for Ramsey's run, and pick the pass. Something that we haven't been given the opportunity to do in the Premier League. Um, I think also you, you could make the argument that there was a period where they pressed us a little more midway through the second half where they started to come into the game more, and I think it was the sort of the scariest part of the game for us, but certainly not a tactic they used earlier. Yeah, so they ended up um, having nine defensive actions per um, pass in the, the middle third. Nine so passes per defensive action. Yeah, yeah, so I mean, that's not a, a huge press. Um, so, I mean, it's not a, a great one either. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think it kind of bears out that Arsenal had room to operate in there. Um, really, the only person that seemed to be drawing def- defenses to him was Jack Wilshire, who I thought absolutely had a bad game. All right, so let, um, let's talk about that. Now, I, I think one of the things that's sort of starting to happen, unfortunately, is anytime you criticize Jack Wilshire, there is a section of the support that seems to take it more personally than maybe with respect to other players. Um, I understand that he's an academy kid, you know, he's English, he's someone who went through a hard time in his career with injuries, and there's a lot of people that have a lot of emotional investment wanting to see him get it back, so to speak, you know, that that bright, enthusiastic optimism for him that we saw when he was dominating that Barcelona midfield so many years ago, but while he had been doing well earlier in the season, it looks like he's starting to struggle a little bit with his, his physical level, and for me... As this game wore on, it was just clear that he was off the pace. I know you've posted on Twitter that he turned it over a lot, and I want you to sort of bring up those numbers, but I'm also curious if you have any kind of breakdown by first and second half. Was he was he struggling throughout the game, or did his struggles sort of increase as his energy levels dipped? So I noticed that the, the biggest ones were in the, the middle um, part of the game, um, where he seemed to really kind of lose his focus. So there was his worst one was right before halftime. Um, and then he had a, a couple of other ones that were in that 50 to 70 minute range um, where he had some some bad ones right there in the, the middle of the park where he gave the ball away. Um, How many so times did I'm he not, give it away overall? So six times total. Um, mm-hmm. So that's dispossessed or um, a bad touch. So I'm not counting um, bad passes here because to me, those ones aren't the, the worst of the um, of his issues. But that led the team, presumably? It did, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, it also looked to me like he was just struggling with his mobility. At one point, I noticed Kessie just kind of ran right by him like he was a dribbling cone. So Yeah, yeah and you know, the see. other thing is, to me, um, when he was playing well earlier in the season, and what I thought was quite um, encouraging was that he seemed to be moving the ball quicker and not dwelling on the ball. And the other thing that he was seeming to do in this game, which was, was a little bit frustrating to see, was he was looking to almost draw a foul 
like a um, like a defender does in basketball, looking for like a charge so you can flop at the littlest bit of contact. And you know the referee was really not buying. Um, that he did at get all one of those game. calls in a really important moment where the ball had gotten away from him midfield and they had a counter, and someone was just kind of pressing him from behind, and he went down. He got the call, um, and that would have been really dangerous. But you're right; there were a lot of times he. The ref just ref just kind of waved at him to get up, and in fact, the referee was kind of calling the game that way the whole game. Yeah, so I mean, and that seems to be the last couple times he's played, he's definitely been inviting the pressure a little bit more, trying to beat somebody um, with the dribble instead of you know trusting himself to be able to pass through it. Um, and that, it also makes me worried that he's you know maybe it's a um, a mental thing where he feels like he's feeling stronger, so he feels like he can do it. But to me, it almost makes him look worse. Um, and there was a couple of those times where. Um, yeah, he did get the ball taken off him, and Milan had a really good chance to, to counter, and it was really only because of their ineptitude and well, one really good chime of um, Callum Chambers defending that really bailed Arsenal out in both of those situations. Yeah, I mean, it's a shame to have to point out any negative on a great night like that, but I, I think it was pretty glaring, and it was certainly surprising when his number didn't go up on the board uh, and Ozil came off instead. I thought that was, that was really surprising. Um, anyone else sort of worth digging into i guess the the real question would be danny welbeck and he had some sort of typical danny moments where he struggled to put his feet into the right positions to stand or run or kick a ball but i also thought while he had some sort of typically uncoordinated danny moments his running was actually pretty useful and he did have that one pass to was it to mkhitaryan when mkhitaryan hit the crossbar I, that, you know, I think it was. Yeah, and, and it was um, a really, really nice curled ball and a counterattack, one of our best-flowing moves of the game. I mean, is there anything you can salvage from the data from, from Danny's performance that make it maybe less of a, a target for comedy? Yeah, so, I mean, he actually ended up um, leaving Arsenal in XG chain um, because I think he was in, involved in, well, he was definitely involved in the Mkhitaryan um, goal to see, or the assist key pass because he was the one that got that one through the the defense on the the counterattack and then i think he was also involved in the aaron ramsey chance didn't he um, give the, the ball to ozil to ramsey flicks it to welbeck and welbeck carries it a little bit to the center and then gives it to ozil that's good memory um so yeah i mean he actually did seem to connect well um with the rest of his teammates um he, yeah he ended up being the the fifth um highest in my offensive value added stat so i mean it was definitely a good day for him in all of the things except for shooting kicking a football um, yeah. mm -hmm. exactly so i mean that's very typical danny welbeck does everything well except for the thing that you want your center forward to be best at yeah, I mean, it's it's tough, right? Because it is his hard running that I think really helps disrupt defenses, pulls them out of position, creates space and openings. But you can't just have hard running. You have to have some end product, some ability to kick the ball towards the goal. Um, there was the one chance where he kind of got away down the left and he put it on his right foot and opened his body and, and just didn't have the conviction with the finish. You know the one I'm talking about? He tried to, I guess, curl it, but he just passed it to the keeper. Exactly. And well, I think one of the things that actually allows the team to function a little bit better is when Aaron Ramsey is in the team, um, because Aaron Ramsey is going to have those late runs in the box where he is going to be able to get shots off. And it looks like Mkhitaryan is also taking up that role of being able to get shots off. So it kind of makes up a little bit for Welbeck's lack of shooting well. Um, so I thought the team actually seemed to, to play pretty well with the balance between the teams. But mm -hmm. yeah, I, I would much rather have seen a, a Bamiyang or a Lacazette up there on top. And what was the XG for the match overall? 
Um, so overall, Arsenal ended up with uh, and if you have one, it, sorry, go ahead. Two point one, two point one five for Arsenal, one point five one for Milan. And of that, two point one five point eight eight came on the second goal. That's right. Yeah. yeah, almost all of it came in the the first you know fifty minutes or so, um, and then you know they had like nothing until they had a couple of bad shots at the the very end of the game. Yeah, well, and there's nothing wrong with that when you have two away goals and a two-legged tie. Nothing wrong with controlling it a little bit. So, Scott, we'll, uh, we'll look forward to talking to you maybe after Watford, definitely after the second leg. Uh, any final thoughts for the second leg? You feeling pretty good about it from here? Uh, yeah, I think Arsenal put themselves in a pretty good spot. So as long as you know they don't you know totally shut down like they did against Ostersons, um, they should be in a good spot to get to the, the quarterfinals. Awesome. All right. Well, Scott's on Twitter at O underscore that underscore crab. Uh, You can hear his fine work on this very podcast, but also read it on the shortfuse.com and crabstats.blogspot.com. And remember, uh, Scott hates Jack Wilshire. And if you want to send abuse, send it to him on Twitter. That's where he prefers it. Scott, thank you. Aaron Ramsey for life. (laughs) One love. Okay, we'll talk to you after the next one. Okay, so there you have it. Those are the statistics that go with the game. And I think Scott uh, posted some stuff on Twitter about Jack's giveaways. And I think those giveaways, the point he made is everyone kind of killed Alexis for the giveaways that were a routine part of his performances, but that Jack did them in much more dangerous areas, which is something to keep an eye on. It's one thing to give the ball away in the left wing, final final third left wing. It's another thing to give it away in the center of the pitch. Uh, But a player who I think is really hard to evaluate and is a really important part of our Europa League situation right now, at least until Lacazette comes back as Danny Welbeck. And Paul, this is a tough game for Danny because on the one hand, he had those comedy moments where he couldn't use his feet for running or kicking. There was the shot towards the end of the game where he was running and he tripped himself trying to shoot and then looked back like his foot had been stepped on, but clearly it hadn't. And yet... He had some really good counterattacking opportunities. He and Mkhitaryan linked up well. He had the one where he passed it kind of to the keeper, which was maybe not a enough conviction in the finish. He had the past two Mkhitaryan where Mkhitaryan hit the bar, and his running seemed to really trouble Milan, that they had a hard time keeping track of him. So how do you evaluate this performance? And was the impact of his running enough to contemplate sticking with him when Lacazette is ready, or is he simply not giving you enough end product to even countenance that? Um, yeah, I don't think he's, I mean, he's a bit worrying at the moment. The, the only thing you can say is this is probably the poorest Danny Welbeck we've seen at the club. And maybe it's largely a factor of coming back from the inj- injury. This was a big one and maybe we're underestimating how big it was. Um, so, uh, you know, it really looks like he's, he's not as fast as he was. He's lost confidence. Um, and he certainly lost uh, the finishing touch, whatever he'd had before. He's a lot um, more Sonogo now than he used to be, right? He was he's always Sonogoian, but now he's just kind of Sonogo. Yeah, he's full full Sonogo. Um, that said, if the other team doesn't realize he can't hurt them, he can hurt them, and you know you by pulling them you, out you, of position. You mean? Yeah, mm-hmm. you, you reeled off a few things, but the Ramsey goal. I'm just watching it on the old Arsenalist. Yeah, he's the one who cuts again. in and gives it to gives it to Ozil. Yeah, yeah, good take. Knocks it back to Ozil. But the other thing is, uh, Ramsey runs the keeper, but he also has the square ball to 
uh, Welbeck, which he doesn't need to take. But, you know, that's probably the, the best look Welbeck had all game. He's right there if the key, keeper kind of cuts the angle for for Ramsey's shots. So. What's kind of unusual, he was involved, a lot of the really good flowing attacking moves, he was yeah. involved in the build-up. And that, I think you have to give him credit for that. Yeah, and maybe he also gained a little bit in that without the same kind of pressing and pressure and, and tightness of the defensive line. He, too, had a little bit more room. But he could come out of this game with a whole, a whole bunch of confidence he didn't come into it with, and it could be a big game for him. So, um, And he certainly played the next uh, tie against Milan, and then Lacazette may be back-ish. Would you consider playing the, them together? I mean, getting the work and the running and the chaos that he provides with Lacazette's smoother, more controlled performance so that you still have that burst. I mean, we, we are not a team that has pace. And the one thing I will say that you see with Danny on the pitch is someone that can run beyond the, the defense hurts defenses, scares defenses. And, and there is a value to having that on the pitch. And we have no one who can do that in the Europa League apart from him. Yeah, I, I definitely think there's a value of playing the two of them up front. I think, you know, both of them have had some struggles to be impactful on their own, um, where they've looked and felt isolated. And maybe there's a combo of the two of them, uh, with Danny maybe coming a little bit from the left, his preferred side, but really playing as a glorified second striker. Um, it means the other guy's moving around a little bit. Maybe we drop a Wobi, but. Um, and and drop Jack out of this scenario. I think you'd have to drop Jack, but see, I'd almost have Danny as the striker with Lacazette just off of him and let Danny clear out that space with his running, you know, to create yeah. some space at the edge of the box for Lacazette. Yeah. I mean, I know, Tim, you wrote you wrote about playing Aubameyang and Lacazette together. Could, mm. could a Welbeck-Lacazette combination be a poor man's version of that? Yeah, I think so. They actually combined really well earlier earlier this season um, when Welbeck was in good scoring who, form. And who can remember that? <laughs> How can you remember was that? in good scoring form. So if you look at like the first game of the season against Leicester, they both scored in the first half. I think the second home game against Bournemouth, um, they both scored um, and they were kind of involved in each other's goals. I, I think Lacazette is one of those players. I think you're right. I think he can either play... If you put him in a front two... He can either play that almost slightly withdrawn number 10 role or he can play as the number nine. He's quite versatile in that respect. Um, but he's struggled so far, like completely on his own, you know. So I, I actually think Welbeck and Lacazette could work really well. Um, and you could just say, look, one of you just kind of stay in the number nine role and the other one buzz around behind and try and get close to, to your strike partner. And actually, I think, Either one of them could do either one of those roles. So there's, you know, there's there's perhaps some kind of grounds for experimentation there. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think that we could do that. I, I think it's really worth a try. Um, and I think given the fact that our league games at this point are pretty much meaningless. They're great um, training that, exercises. <laughs> well, that, that's one of the things I'd try. And I was thinking earlier as well, if, if a spin is going to be the Europa League keeper, we should just keep him in in the Premier League um, from now on. I personally still slightly prefer Czech, but if Espina's the cup goalkeeper, every, this entire season is riding, and probably the manager's future is riding on this competition. If he's decided that Espina's his cup goalkeeper and that's it, you know, stick him in, in the Premier League as well. Get let him get a really good run of games with you know with those defenders. Don't take him in and out um, at this stage. It's not like Czech's playing brilliantly anyway. 
um, then he probably needs replacing in the summer when they're both going to go. So you know what? To hell with it. Just play a spinner in the Premier League um, as well. And I, I, I kind of think that with this, I, I think that actually a, some kind of maybe slightly obscure um, strike partnership could really work. Um, you know, Arsenal have kind of had these, you know, like Eduardo and Adebayor was a fairly offbeat strike partnership-ish. Walcott and Giroud at one stage was, you know, a bit like a strike partnership. I think there's certainly, um, there's certainly, there's basically, there's a little bit of space in that final third that I don't think we're filling at the moment. I think there is too much of a gap between, well, like I said earlier, Erzin and Aubameyang. Whether Mkhitaryan can start to fill that gap a little bit, as, as he kind of did against AC Milan, that would be a very positive development. But otherwise, I, I think there's just a little bit of a, a little bit of a hole almost uh, between those two areas of the pitch. And yeah, I, I'd certainly give it a try. And I think Welbeck is one of those strikers who I, I tweeted the other week that he reminded me of Emil Heskey, and I meant it as a compliment mm-hmm. um, because I used to like Emil Heskey. And it was no, I never so found So you were the guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was the guy. And I never found it a big coincidence that um, the likes of Wayne Rooney, Michael Owen, Robbie Fowler all really liked playing with him. And there was a reason for that because he was a great strike partner. He was great at doing the dirty work, the running no one else wanted to do, going up for the headers and chesting the ball down and basically just, you know, doing all the kind of the spade work. Um, for another striker and I think Danny Welbeck could really do that I think Arsenal have had a few forwards over the last since Van Persie left who I think you know what you'd you'd be much better in a front two Um, and I think Welbeck basically he's caught a little bit out of time because he you know you get these strikers sometimes a bit like Michael Owen towards the end of his career where you think yeah you've just gone out of fashion a little bit because the fashion is for lone strikers now and you need a strike partner and so you see some of these strikers kind of go out of fashion because they need someone to do their dirty work. Well, Welbeck's like the other side of that conundrum, I think. I think, yeah, you're the you're the guy who needs to do the dirty work for someone. Um, and so I, I think Welbeck would be an excellent strike partner um, in that Emil Heskey kind of way. He wouldn't score you many goals, but he would probably help his strike partner score five or six more. Yeah, and he did uh, have one of those games of hunting and harrying and chasing back, and this yep. was a very Hesky game. Yeah, yep. and and just to, to to go to your point earlier, you know about that ball through for Mkhitaryan. Uh, I I said at the time I was like, isn't it amazing? He goes through one on one with the goalkeeper, and you know he puts it like straight at his chest, but then like presented with this almost impossible eye of the needle pass, he manages it. Yeah, like because it's because it's thirty yards from goal and it's not a shot. He manages it no problem. It's just, I, it must be a psychological thing. Um, well, I mean, you but, see, yeah. he kicks his own feet with a shot on goal yeah. from eighteen. I mean, it's clearly a psychological thing. I mean, as much as we joke that he doesn't know how to like use his feet, I'm sure he knows how to use his feet. I mean, Paul, yeah. l- 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 unless you have more to add on Danny, I'd like to I'd like to come on to the important stuff, which is the defending. That's what everybody pays their money for this podcast for. So I'm torn. I thought. Koscielny had a, a great game in the in the big crisis moments. I thought Mustafi really had his best game in a while. Um, there were there were good signs from Kalasinac. Unfortunately, he had to come off. But they had openings. Chambers gave the ball away in the corner early. Chambers gave the ball away a few times. I thought he did well going forward, not so well coming back. Uh, they had Suso had a chance from the right channel, eight yards out, blazed over. They had an easy volley attempt from the penalty spot that they went what. 20 yards over the net. 
the header that they just missed on the corner. Was this a better defensive effort than what we've seen, or was this a defensive effort similar to what we've seen where we got away with it? Um, it was definitely a better defensive effort. But Was it? it, it yeah. Was it? Um, yeah. <laughs> if I say it in a high-pitched enough voice, will you change it? Was it? Yeah. Because, uh, but it may be one and the same. You know, the fabric of the centre-back pairing wasn't really torn apart. And the two uh, central midfielders provided adequate cover so that the centre held. And this was one game in which the centre was generally solid for our defence. But against a better team, um, you could start hearing that the fabric rent in twain, I think. So I think it's, it's, it's not that everything has changed. It's just until you tear the fabric, it's not torn. I think right down the middle of the team, we were very solid. Um, but on uh, where they didn't really hurt us enough was the gaps between the center backs and the full backs. I didn't think Kolasinac was particularly good going backwards. Um, I can no, see. No, I agree, I agree with that. Yeah. He was very, very good going forwards. He was he was very much part of our, our secret sauce. But going backwards, I mean, you put Maitland-Niles on, and it was night and day in terms of how we buttoned up that side of the pitch. Um, yeah. And I think the other vulnerability was obviously between Chambers and Mustafi. Uh, there was a nice pocket there of confusion and chaos, um, which they never really took. It, it, their quality in the final third was very, very poor in this game. Because uh, they got themselves into positions to create chances, they just—it was—it was the final ball was never quite right for them. Um, but it's I a warning. Staffy, it's certainly a warning for the second yeah, yeah. leg. I mean, we we don't want them to have those positions in the second leg. No, but I do come out of this game thinking, uh, we'll be, if we play that four in the center, the two CMs and the two center backs against Milan at home, we'll be okay. Um, so okay. Well, then give me your quick appraisal of the next the next leg. What do you think? Uh, I haven't really given it any thought. That's as far as I've got. Um, I, I can't see us. I mean, what are our... I guess the question is, what players are coming in that we don't have right now? Uh, Monreal sounds maybe, like he might maybe be Maybe Bellerin? Maybe uh, not? Bellerin, will ho- his inflamed knee will hopefully be nicely rested and iced. So we could have too much better... Uh, fullbacks um and you leave kind of everything else the same do you stick or twist do you do you go for it do you go do you try to play the same way i mean do you try to get goals and know that you know just sitting and and having them come on you i mean you could benefit from that you say we'll play on the counter How, how do you approach it um i thought this was the game that we might have uh been a bit more tactical bit bit more cynical in terms of uh, the risk-reward thing, but it didn't turn out that way. I think at, at the Emirates, you play an attacking game. You don't go nuts. You don't go crazy. Uh, you, you keep the basics in mind. But I think if you tell Chaka and Ramsey to k- play a balanced game and to keep the spaces fairly close um, until things are well in hand, I think you play a very similar approach to this game. Yeah, I agree with that. Tim, as far as the defensive effort, what did you make of it? Luck or good? A <clears throat> um, bit of both. Largely, well, it's a low bar, but much better than what we've been seeing um, lately. And, you know, we, we 
possibly I think got a bit lucky with a with a penalty call on Aspina in you know in the first half. And uh, what what's um, what's quite interesting about um, when you're watching in the San Siro is the away end. When you're playing AC Milan, the away end is like way up in the gods, um, kind of back of the third tier stuff. And it's a really big pitch at the San Siro as well. So in some ways, it gives you a really good appreciation of the spacing. In another way, I think it kind of warps it because you've got this like literal bird's eye view of Mm -hmm. one of the bigger playing surfaces in Europe. So it, it can look like there's lots and lots of space, like lots more than usual um, and some of that's just a kind of trick of perspective, but some of it, you know, can be quite worrying as well. I, I completely agree with what Paul said. I, I think somewhere we've been weak all season is kind of between the fullbacks and the centre halves, and they really didn't do enough um, to try and, to, you know, to really try and expose that. And the, the one time they really did was for that penalty shout when Espina came out, and for my money, didn't get the ball and impeded the player. Um, but yeah, we we got away with that one, and you know Milan have a, a fairly good striker called uh, Adrian Silva, uh, Portuguese striker who's kind of tends to be a bit better at running the channels. But they left him on the bench, and I think they looked a little bit more dangerous when they brought him on. Um, I think largely because they had two up front as well, so obviously you're going to look a bit. Well, more we were dangerous, also playing with but, ten men towards the end because I I couldn't believe the manager yeah. left Jack. Jack on the pitch. I mean, I'm not trying to pick on yeah. him, but he was done. He was clearly, clearly done. We needed El Nenny or or Iwobi for him, someone to yeah. get us that running. And I and I think he probably would have come off had it not been for Chambers getting cramp at yeah. the end. So we kind of had to throw El Nenny on at right back. But I, I so I felt that like defensively we we were quite a bit better. And in the second half, I thought you know obviously the whole team kind of made a decision, whether it was a decision or whether it was just because they're low on confidence and they wanted to see it out to kind of just stay in that deep block. And um, again, like I say, the space can be deceptive, but I, I, I really thought we should have won this by more um, on the pattern of the game. Actually, I think we had some really good chance in the first half, but not only that, you know, Milan left a lot of space in the second half for the counter attack. And whether we fair, just, we could have had four or five, Tim, I agree with you, but they could yeah. have had two, right? So, I mean, I'll yeah, take yeah. two nil over, well, I don't know if I yeah. would, but I was going to say it could have been 4-2 just as easily. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know, and I, man, I, did we need a clean sheet. Yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah. I, I had this discussion yesterday, actually, exactly that. I said, you know, I'd rather have 2-0, even maybe than 4-1, um, just because I, th- I think I think you're right, the clean sheet was so important, uh, particularly going forward, and I feel like that will have a lot of extra value outside the confines of this game and this tie. Um, Not that we have anything to play for outside the confines no, of this, this game. In this no, yeah. no, no. But you know, uh, like for the for the upcoming league games, and hopefully for kind of future rounds, um, provided we get through this, that, that I think that was really, really important. Um, so I kind of I understand why the team was a little bit kind of inhibited in the second half, and perhaps didn't take the the opportunity to really counter attack. And let's face it, if they're kind of tried to do that and ended up conceding a goal we'd all be raising raging about how stupid they are and how they don't have any um, in-game management or intelligence you so mean like if for I, example I our midfielder shot from 25 yards out yeah. under no pressure <laughs> in, in stoppage time yeah, yeah. that would have been in, outrageous so so let's close with just your your thoughts on the second leg how, how you'd approach it and what you expect 
I, I would approach it exactly the same way as this one. I, I thought we did kind of play on the break in this game, and I think we had the players to do it. Um, I do think that Welbeck is a much better striker on the counter-attack than he is when you're really taking the game to someone. We all know Ozil's brilliant on the counter. We all know Ramsey can do it on the counter. I think Mkhitaryan as well looks like that kind of player who who looks like he, he can enjoy uh, enjoy himself on the break. So I'd, I'd do that again, um, to be honest. I would, like, exactly, I completely endorse what Paul said about, you know, the midfield too, telling them to perhaps rein it in a little bit. Um, but then just really let that kind of front four um, really kind of have at it um, when we don't have the ball. So we almost have like two different teams. Um, you know, we have like the back the back six and the front four. Um, and then you've got Ramsey kind of creating that bridge um, between the two uh, when we when we kind of go forward. So that, that that's the way I'd try to play it. Um, and, you know, if we can score the first goal, then... You know, I, I think we should be okay, but I don't think we should underestimate Milan too well, much. Well, let's you not know, do what we did if, against Ostersunds, for example. Exactly, <laughs> that would be the wrong approach. If, <laughs> if Milan, you know, if Milan score, from, you know, let's not. This game would have been great for our confidence, but it's not going to be entirely repaired yet. So, if Milan go one nil up, pretty much at any point in the game, it's going to feel quite scary. So, yeah. and that's you know, that's that's perfectly possible. So. Um, yeah, job, job not done by a long chalk. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to leave it. Tim's on Twitter at Stoberto. Thanks, Tim. Pleasure. Paul's on Twitter at Pause in My Pants. Thanks, Pause. Not going to do the usual outro here because we've got a bonus section coming up. So we'll go to the bonus section. Then you'll hear the whole Arsenal 10 Watford nil dull horrible crap but thank you for listening to us give us a five-star review leave us a nice review on um itunes or wherever you catch this podcast and we'll be back after the watford game to cover what is another meaningless premier league fixture and maybe a little more in-depth look forward to the second leg against milan so good to get a win we'll come up with the bonus section and say goodbye So on the last podcast, we had a bonus section. It was just Paul. But we have a bonus section on this pod, and it's Clive. Clive can be found on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. You lose to Brighton, you get Paul as a bonus. You beat AC Milan at the San Siro, you get Clive as a bonus. That's why you want to win the big European nights. Um, And speaking of big European nights, how thoroughly did you enjoy ours? It was nice to win, wasn't it? It's a lovely feeling. I'll tell you what, I sometimes look at turning points. And sometimes you if look. If you say turn the corner, I will kill you through the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I actually think Spurs Juventus was our turning point because I've forgotten how happy I felt when I when I see good football, right? And and seeing Spurs in Juventus in a good match and Spurs not win sort of made me really positive for the next day. And uh, yeah. that's terrible. Took the pressure off, <laughs> man. I mean, if they had gotten through past Juventus, all of a sudden it's the narrative is written, right? The power shift. Yeah, it goes to show you that sometimes, you know, it's not just your own results, but the rest of the top six are so positive. Everyone's moving forward, and we're the one team in the top six that's massively underperforming. And to see someone else just have a little trip, it sort of made me feel positive. And, um, yeah, I think the Spurs game was my turning point of the season so far. Yeah, I mean, look, can't smile without you, right? It's Schadenfreude. It's what the football's all about. So as far as this game... 
I think there are two contrasting performances we can talk about a little bit because in the wake of the game, it seems to be a big talking point. And I, Clive, for the life of me, I cannot get over the degree of debate and argument that surrounds Jack Wilshere versus Aaron Ramsey. It is the weirdest thing. These players are never evaluated individually. They are always evaluated as a pair. The people that seem to like Jack Wilshere seem to not like Aaron Ramsey and vice versa, despite the fact that it's quite clear that they do not bear any resemblance to one another in playing style or what they do on the pitch. Um, And yet here we are again debating it. So I thought it was a bit of a struggle for Jack. He gave the ball away quite a bit, um, as we covered in Scott's section. And obviously Ramsey shined with the way he scored his goal. I thought every bit of that goal was impressive. Ramsey's not really your cuppa, and Jack is kind of your guy. So I'm curious how you absorbed this match, what your feelings are in terms of their contrasting performances. Okay, well, I, I sometimes look at Jack and, and Ramsey as almost like Lampard and Gerrard, right? Both Except good players. They, they never played for the same club. I realize it was an England thing. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Yeah, both good players, right? but both slightly different in their styles and both seen as um, as the primary player for the people that like them. But this, the situation we have is that potentially it's, it's in the same club, right? So um, the way I the way I view it, the both of them, right? I, I see them almost, I said it before, I see them as one player. I don't think, I don't think we have centre midfielders that are the right quality to be a league-winning team. And I include all of them in that boat, right? At the moment, I've said it before, Elliot, we have a lot of good players that do good things sometimes. And when you speak to a sort of Wilshire fan, they pick out moments. When you speak to someone that really rates Ramsey, they pick out moments, the cup final winning goals. I look at it and I think, well, you know what? Those moments those spectacular moments are almost indicative of what we've become. And we've become a cup team now. And uh, and I always look at things and I, and I judge Arsenal as a league-challenging team. And we are <laughs> well, now... I've got bad news for you. <laughs> yeah. But, and, and that's where I take my judgments from. So when I, when I talk about Ramsey and I talk about Wilshire, the first thing I always talk about is style, which one you like from a style perspective. And I looked at the game yesterday and I thought they rotated quite well into the 10 and out of the 10. And um, when when Jack was caught deep and Ramsey pushed up and vice versa, I quite like that, actually. I like Ramsey higher, but if he's higher all the time, I think he gets connected to. If he's deeper, he then appears in space and he's harder to track. And his goal was a classic example. If you watch the film, he's, Jack was deeper and Ramsey pointed at him. You stay there for a minute. And he hung right, he hung right, flicked it inside, spun around the corner. He was left free for quite a while, <laughs> a lot longer than he would have been in the Premiership. And Ozil found him. And what I loved about the goal was the way he made sure. He sort of looked at, the, looked at it and said, this is an important moment. I'm not going to try and slide it around a big goalkeeper who might get a foot on it. I'm going to sit him, I'm going to go around him, and I'm going to score because of the way goal in Europe means something. Well, loved, composure loved, in front of goal has been the criticism of him, right? He's always been good at getting into position for chances, but he doesn't always finish them at a high rate. And so to have the composure to sit the keeper down, round him, and slot it in, I thought that was very impressive. Yeah, I thought it was impressive. I think his composure comes from snapshots and shooting. I think he doesn't always set himself correctly. He likes to do things spectacular. And shooting early is obviously great because keepers are not set, but shooting early is obviously risky, right? So you've got to get your body in the right body shape right and you got to time your arrival right this one the touch was great sat him down great 
just what you want. Uh, what I like to see are players that seize the moment and say, this is important. I must take care. And he did that. And uh, I really, really like that. When I, when I look at the game, when I look at the two of the, the sentiments, I just feel, I ask myself the question, I'll ask you the question, do you think they are top-level league-winning quality? No, they're not. And no one cares about my opinion, but I'm going to give it since you asked. No, they're not. I think the problem is, though, look, I think to be a competitive team in England, you need greater physicality than we have in midfield. I think to be a competitive team in Europe, you need greater technical quality than we have in midfield. If you see the the distinction that I'm drawing. We, yeah. we don't have the running to boss a, a midfield in England. I, I realize that's not how City does it right now, but by and large, I think you need someone who, who has a little bit of physicality and athleticism in midfield for the Premier League. And I think in Europe, you need those those technical leaders. Um, I thought what made this game work for us in some respects is that Shaka did kind of his best Pirlo impression to some extent. You know, he sat deep. He surveyed yeah. the pitch. He distributed well. He was safe with the ball, and a lot of that was because of the space he was given. For me, though, Clive, and I want to get your take on this part of Jack's game. Look, Jack still has a feel for the little flicks and the little passes and the little dagger balls, and he, he has that. He has that eye. He I think he reads the game really well with the ball at his feet. He doesn't read the game particularly well defensively, but what's really worrying is just physically the running. He doesn't have the legs anymore, and I thought this was the biggest example of a glaring problem for him in this game. He could not run. He he struggled early, but by the middle part of the game, by 45 to 60, 70 minutes, he was just getting run by uh, Kessie at one point, ran right by him like he was standing still. He got taken off the ball six different times. He struggled to keep up with these players going up and down the pitch. And I mean, my question for you is, does he have it physically to be able to play in central midfield anymore? I've seen, I went to Liverpool game, uh, the Emirates just before Christmas, and Liverpool are a hard-running team, and he was our hardest-running centre midfielder on the day, without a doubt. So I've seen it. Do I trust it on a week-to-week basis? No, I don't. Back to being a cup team. Can we produce it three times a week, every week to win the league? No, but, but uh, is no, it that he, he has more leg, more games in his legs now? I mean, you know, by December he was just coming back into the team. Now he's been in the team for two or three months, and we're seeing what his legs have in him. It's it's not enough. I don't think he's got the rhythm back from the illness and the after Christmas. Mm-hmm. He hasn't got back to top rhythm. But also, Elliot, his position has changed. In those early games, he was part of the, the, the deeper two. And now he's higher up. But that means he's sprinting and he's pressing and he's doing much more longer, bigger space work. And I don't think that suits him. I think for him to be the player that you just described where he reads the game, he needs to see the game. And I think he needs to save his effort for big defensive runs rather than big offensive runs. When he runs 15, 20 yards into the box, I don't feel something's going to happen. When Ramsey runs 15, 20 yards into the box, we all feel something could happen. right? So the situation is they rotated it, but I felt Jack has spent a couple of games now quite high, which, you know, he's done some good things. It hasn't all been bad, but it now brings a lot of risk into his game. So his statistics are not going to look good. But if I trust someone to find a little trick, that's great. But what's it doing to him physically? I think it's hurting him. I think he was playing a 90-minute game when he plays deeper. When he plays higher, he looks like a 70-minute player, right? And so, and that is down to the distances and how he's having to do longer sprints. So I, I'm not sure I quite like the balance. But I'm not going to complain too much after a 2-0 win away from home at Milan. I'm not going to complain too much. 
And I think long as there's a rotation between him and Ramsey, and it really is a rotation and not them fighting for the same part of the pitch, but it's a something that's designed, I can deal with it. I think if you see Ramsey high too much, no, that doesn't work. If you see Jack high too much, that doesn't work. I just think they need to rotate it and move around and rotate with us or just be positionally smarter and so they can save their legs and be a little bit more economical. Because physically, you're absolutely right, Ramsey's better physically from a, from a metronomic point of view. But our, we have to look at our physicality at sprinting speed and power in centre mid if we want to be a league challenging team yeah i mean you just look at through the middle of the pitch we have players like ozil wilshire shaka none of whom are hard running players i mean ramsey has a great motor and can get up and down the pitch although not pacey i mean but he, he can get up and down the pitch but there's just not a lot of athleticism or physicality there and i actually thought right around that sort of 50 to 70 minute mark where we dropped and they came back into the match a little bit yeah um i i think what was noticeable, and I think I tweeted this at the moment, we just missed that athletic, physical player in the center of the pitch who can put his foot on the ball and carry it 15 yards forward, bouncing off bodies, or chase someone down and shoulder them off the ball. Someone that makes it hard to run right through the middle of the pitch and says, you don't want to come into this space. You don't want to play into my area. We don't really have that. I think the midfield is a very comfortable place to play through Arsenal right now. Um, I think. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say. I think you're right, right? So if you're if you're projecting forward for Arsenal, there's there's something that's really happening to us, right? So we're a, we're a nice team to play. People look forward to playing us, right? They think they can have their moment against us. We're a big six team, and if of all the big six teams. We're the easiest ones to play if you catch us on the right day. If you catch us on the wrong day, then we can beat anyone else in the in the league. Do you think Milan suffered from that, by the way? That maybe they thought, you know, we can attack more, we can have a go at them. It's going to be maybe that by thinking it would be a little too easy there, they weren't as safe as they needed to be. They didn't respect our ability to hurt them going, you know, going at their goal. I thought I thought we had made some in the right channel, Chambers and um, Mustafi. We made some schoolboy mistakes, right? But we got away with it. I thought Milan snatched at their chances. I thought they shot early when they didn't need to. They didn't play. Once Mr. Duffy and uh, Chambers had got attracted, they didn't recognise the spaces they had and they just shot past the post, which is multiple times over the crossbar. Crosses too high. And so they, when we were going through, I still felt we were a bit low at confidence in the first early stages of the game. But we got away there and our confidence grew and it grew. And they, you know, innately what they do, they tend to work, they push up together. But when on the defensive side, they push back together. Mm -hmm. And if you start to give Shaka space to play, he gets his rhythm. And you see Ramsey got his rhythm. Jack got his rhythm. We penetrated on the left-hand side. We doubled up. Ozil went from right to left. And he overloaded on that side. And they didn't pick it up. And Colasinic had his best game for ages because he had combination people to work with. Um, Welbeck was incredibly energetic and worked back very well in the tackles, despite the fact he doesn't know what his feet are doing. He was very good defensively from the front. And they allowed us to do it, much like Juventus allowed Spurs to dominate them in the away game. And I think some of the Italian teams, what they do naturally, they think, well, when we drop in and keep our spaces close, no one's going to play through us. You know what? I'm sort of really good at playing through the eye of the needle if you sit deep. Right, when you, you have Mesut Ozil, it makes it a lot easier. <laughs> it makes it a lot easier. And, he's, and you know, Ozil is another one, right? We look at him 
and we wonder about him. And I, I heard something on the radio there, and it really made me think, if you watch Lionel Messi play football, and what he does a lot is he walks around. He he's the walkiest player you will ever see until he's not, and then he kills you. <laughs> exactly, and he walks. But what happens around Messi, he's got other people that run. And so no one says a word, plus his output's incredible. If you watch Ozil last night, the amount of time he was walking, but when the ball came to him, how many times was he in space? It's a skill. And again, what we've surrounded him with is maybe not the dynamic athletes of Barcelona have got in midfield now. They've got a bit more pragmatic and they've added an extra player in there in like a Paulinho and a Rakitic and Busquets, a bit more pragmatic historically, maybe taking a winger out to allow him to walk to create the moment. At Arsenal, we, we've got a walker that's a real delivery expert and assist maker, but we also ask him to defend because we've got other people that are not quite so dynamic. So when he doesn't defend, we all notice. So again, it comes back to balance. Again, we won the game and I liked what I saw and what I saw was a lovely togetherness and a confidence coming back and it was the first brick in the road. We needed that brick of confidence and maybe, you know, sometimes Elliot, we're like the team that Another team needs to play to get confidence on occasion. I <laughs> think Milan them. were yeah. I think Milan were perfect for us. A big team on the rise, not quite sure of themselves, a full crowd. We could get confidence from this game if we were to win it when no one expected us to. Well and we did. Yeah, and let's let's be honest. I mean a manager who is not particularly tactically astute. I mean Gattuso's done a great job getting them into form, but from what I understand, he's more about getting them motivated, picking an 11, picking the right players. But I don't think he is a master tactician. And whatever the plan was, it certainly wasn't the right way to play us. Uh, Before we say goodbye here to this sensational bonus section, which none of our listeners deserve but are getting anyway, um, I want to talk about Mkhitaryan. He hasn't come up yet. He's a player that we, I think, all have really high hopes for, mainly because we have to. He's a player that's going to be with us for a while. He's not going to have any sell-on value when he eventually goes. He came... Uh, in exchange for Alexis, who, granted, maybe wasn't having the time of his life the last few weeks before he left, is a sensational player. And we saw some glimpses of of what he's capable of against Everton, and then it kind of vanished now, admittedly, against Spurs and City, and City again. It's pretty easy for those things to vanish. But I thought he was the star performer on the night, and I'm curious to get your take on what worked and what you think it might mean for his role and, and his capability of boosting our attack going forward. You know, we talk about Jack, we talk about Ramsey, we talk about Ozil, but the players that we picked on the night, that group, that's our best group of players, right? So we all we all accept that, right? Uh, it won't be isn't it, at that level. Well, I mean, and, a, a striker aside, but yeah, yeah, availability wise, right, yes. that's what we had. That's so he picked the right players, and we can talk about the balance, but we had the right players. And Mkhitaryan coming on his right foot was really interesting, and I, I thought he was excellent. And what I liked about him even on the goals and the one that hit the crossbar. As he's received the ball, you can almost see his brain thinking, I've got two, three touches. And when I get it onto my right foot, he didn't even look at the goal. He didn't look at it. He had complete clarity in what he was doing. He wasn't looking around, spinning his head, thinking, how can I shift this responsibility onto somebody else? He said, this is my moment. Good first touch, good second touch, smash it at the goal. And I love the clarity of thought and good players take that shot 
Right, they don't mess about. They take that shot. And he got his luck and he deflected in. He was unlucky when he hit the crossbar. And I just thought he held his position beautifully wide. He just separated himself away from them to give him chance to receive it. Receive it a few yards. He can then, he can then, he's in control of his man because he's got such a nice touch and he doesn't look at the ball. He had his head up. So they think, they're thinking he can pass here or he can shoot. But I'm frozen to the spot. Right? And so I have to wait to see what he does and react to him. And that's what good players make you do. They make you react to their movements. And I thought he was excellent. I thought he worked back well. And the whole thing was indicative of a collective spirit. I suppose the bigger question is, where did that spirit come from and where has it been? How was it generated and who generated it? Was it player-generated or was it manager-generated? What it Couldn't it and just sure. couldn't it just be occasion-generated? Right? I mean, playing to try to get into fifth place in the Premier League, it's hard to lift yourself. Playing in the San Siro against uh, a historic club, maybe not of the moment, but certainly of everybody's memory in AC Milan, that's enough to lift these players, isn't it? Absolutely. Touche, my son. And uh, what does that make us? That makes us a cup team. Yeah, and I don't the, disagree and with the, that. And the progression for Arsenal has got to be, okay, how can we translate this into three times a week and a Tuesday night in Stoke? How can we translate some of the things we see here into a much more consistent execution and delivery? So we have to ask ourselves some questions. We have a big sample size of these players. We've seen them win cup games when they shouldn't have no right to. And they've turned up and absolutely surprised us. And they've shown they can still do that. So we have to ask ourselves, what do we want to be? What type of players do we want? How do we introduce that every week consistency and dominance and durability that you need to be a top team? You look at the top players in the country, the ones that are playing regularly for City. De Bruyne, I, think he might, I don't think he's hardly missed a league game. Right? So you look at the durability and the availability of some of these players. They are available they are there, they are present, they are consistent. And we have, so like I say, we have some really good players who are there for moments, but they're not there for the season. Yeah. So thinking forward, what do you want to be? Even our favourite players, are they going to take us to the promised land? If they are, it's going to have to be done on them, them players looking after their bodies better and the management defining their roles better. Because, you know, to, back to Ramsey, I thought he played very well very disciplined and very much in centre midfield, and you know me, Elliot. If you're in the if you're in that part of the pitch, I I love it. If you're not where you should be, I'm not so keen. Yeah, no, that's that's totally fair. Look, I think as far as de- determining what we're going to be and winning, you know, on a Tuesday night in Stoke, like the best solution may just be to have Stoke get relegated and then we don't have to win uh, on a Tuesday yeah, night we, in we, Stoke. We, or even West Brom or Swansea or Bournemouth. Or get them all out. Relegate them all. <laughs> you know, if you relegate 17 of them, top four is a breeze. So, you know, just something Absolutely. to think about. Um, well, I look, I really appreciate it. I think now the question is going to be, can we hold our nerve for the return leg and then – can we keep this going and let this be the springboard for the rest of this competition? We can certainly switch off in the Premier League for all I care, and I think for all the players care, or anybody cares, maybe even the manager, we'll find out with this selection on Sunday. But sometimes, Clive, you know, I I think we, we underestimate the importance of luck and having it go for you a little bit, because while I thought there were a lot of good things about this performance, a lot of encouraging things, Suso blazed over from eight yards out in the channel. They had opportunities where Chambers gifted them the ball at the back. There was uh, Ospina coming for a corner and not getting there and the header just glancing wide from point blank. 
there were moments. There were moments there where were. this could have been a different occasion, and I think it went for us today. And you know what? With the run we've been on, maybe we were due to have a few of those moments go our way. Um, we've had calls go against us. We've had shots hit the woodwork. We've had things happen to us that maybe, I don't want to say we didn't deserve, but maybe have influenced the rut that we're in. So it was nice to have the breaks yeah. go our way for a change. Absolutely. I think if it hadn't have done, it would have been like another Brighton, right? We would have been two down and fighting back. Right? And so, um, and I don't know that they have, you know, you talk about the mentality, Clive, just to cut across you to keep this on brand. I, I think that's okay. when you're really, really low, it's one thing to drag yourself up for the occasion, get the lead, hold on to it, get a result. But when you fall behind, all of those doubts and questions flood back in your mind. So I think it was so important that we did get the first goal, that we did build some confidence and, and then carried on from there. Uh, let's Absolutely. let's call time on this. We will definitely talk to you after the friendly against Watford on Sunday, and then again after the return leg. Final thought: You feeling okay for progression now? Uh, I'm going to the game. I'm going to the land game. I want to see that from my own self and see what's happening around that pitch, the things that you can't see. So I'm looking forward to that. I will be okay after the first five minutes, right? And be, I think we should rest Gashelny for Watford for definitely. I think he's had a lot of games and I thought he played really well. Uh, I definitely think we need to make sure we have our best defenders available for that day because they were feeling bold. If they score early, away goals mean so much, right? So, um, yeah, I definitely, obviously, Welbeck needs to be kept kept free, did a lot of work. Do we do know when Lacazette's back? He's just started light training. Light training. So they said after the international break. I heard today. Okay, so for I, the I for that. the quarterfinal, assuming that we're yeah, absolutely. We're good so for get this through thing. this one, and he's back, and that that opens up a lot of options, right? Because that means you know, the options of Welbeck and Lacazette away from home particularly would be good and a good running power to turn teams around. I think that makes us more offensive. Lacazette can be used back in. So that's nice. You know, Mikatarian now shown somebody. He showed a bit of clutch, right? That yep. shot, that first goal, he shows some clutch behaviour, so that'll boost him first goal. So, yeah, it's amazing how football changes. Yeah. Before you know it, we, start, we talk about new contracts for the manager. And I think one of the things players need, a manager needs, fans need, is a clear goal to focus on and to work towards. And football challenges you because it gives you these four trophies and says work towards all of them. But Arsenal have the advantage right now of focusing on this competition and trying to win this competition. And everything can be geared to that now, given our unfortunate situation in the league. So Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Clive, I appreciate you giving us the bonus section that the fans deserve. I've never been called a bonus, but I'll take it. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah, well, I, I look at it this way. The bonus was the result. I think we'll all take it. And uh, we will be back with you after the next one. So until then, uh, we will be back with another podcast after Arsenal 10, Watford Nip. <laughs>